hppodcraft.com. It has begun. You know, uh, the true mark of wisdom, in my opinion, is knowing that you know nothing. Yeah, I have to agree with that. I, you know, I have a basic set of facts that help guide me through the world, like, you know, don't punch a tiger in the face, stuff like right. that. Yeah. <laughs> Keeps me surviving. Yeah. Past that, it's just speculation. Uh, so we've made some mistakes on the show. We have. And uh, we wanted to just clear some of that up before we got going today. Uh, The last episode we did on the Nameless City, Mm -hmm. we discussed the end of it, and there was some confusion that even registered in our discussion, but our conclusions were wrong. Both Chad and I had misread the exact ending. Now, it's not not that big of a deal. We didn't completely miss the theme of the story or anything like that. But what was actually happening was what we said was that the creatures had like a civilization down there and they were still alive, which isn't what was going on at all. Right. They were the ghosts of these creatures. These crocodile men. These crocodile men at at night would go out into the world and then when the sun rose, they would rush back in. Yeah. And there's some foreshadowing earlier in the story that tells you that, that Uh we completely missed. That we just didn't get. So... Folks, sorry. And in the episode before that, uh, we also were talking, because that was co-written with uh, Winifred Jackson. Yes. We were talking about how later Winifred Jackson had told uh, Loveman, who was a friend of Lovecraft's, about Lovecraft's racism and bigotry, and that as a result, Loveman had burned all of their correspondence. It wasn't actually Winifred Jackson. It was Sonia Green. It was Sonia Green, who's Lovecraft's ex-wife. Also, uh, Kenneth Height, who guest hosted on that specific episode, uh, had a correction of himself. He said, the itinerant evangelist I mentioned is named Moon, not Moody. I had him confused with Dwight Moody for some reason. Oh, right. The similarity in name, message, and time period. But still. So, <laughs> so Ken caught, caught uh, his... He caught his own he error. He caught his own error. Uh, which is a completely understandable error. Yeah. So there's that. Speaking of the moon, that's somewhat the subject of one of today's stories. Uh, uh, yes. Uh, the moon bog. Right. But and, we're doing two stories today, and two. that comes second. Uh, yes. The first is... The Quest of Iranon. And so without further ado... Uh, I'm Chris Lackey. I'm Chad Pfeiffer. And this is the HP Lovecraft Literary Podcast. HPPodcraft.net. No. God damn it, Chad. No, it's <laughs> not .net. It is .com. Into the granite city of Teloth wandered the youth, fine-crowned, his yellow hair glistening with myrrh, and his purple robe torn with briars of the mountain Seedrak that lies across the antique bridge of stone. The men of Teloth are dark and stern, and dwell in square houses, and with frowns they asked the stranger whence he had come, and what were his name and fortune. So the youth answered, I am Iranon, and come from Aira, a far city that I recall only dimly, but seek to find again. I am a singer of songs that I learned in the far city, and my calling is to make beauty with the things remembered of childhood. My wealth is in little memories and dreams, and in hopes that I sing in gardens when the moon is tender and the west wind stirs the lotus buds. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to H.P. Lovecraft's Footloose. (laughs) (laughs) The only way I got through this story was by comparing it to movies. Uh, So, in this story, um, (laughs) it is about a golden-haired youth. Yeah, Iranan. He's he's from the great city of Aira? Aira. And he's Shakira? Come, Shakira. Shakira? <laughs> and he's come to this blue-collar town. Yeah, city of uh, Teloth. Uh, to try and get something going. He's a busker like that guy in, uh, right. in Once. Well, he comes to Teloth, and he says, Hey, folks, I'm going to sing you some music, man. You're going to dig it. And the people of uh, Teloth are like, 
Oh, okay, yeah. yeah. You know, we're really busy working here and right. getting stuff done. He kind of reminded me of Billy Zane in Tombstone. You know, he shows up to do Shakespeare for all the cowboys, and they just, they're all about their business. See, I told you. This actually treads over something he was, he, it was much better said in Cellophane. And as we go along, I'm getting more and more appreciation for that story. Yeah, uh, I have to agree with you. When he uh, said, uh, there are not many citizens who know what wonders are open to them in the stories and visions of their youth. For when as children we listen and dream, we think but half-formed thoughts. And when, as men, we try to remember, we are dulled and prosaic with the poison of life. Yeah. It's actually the summary of this story. It, it is. <laughs> you know? It's actually absolutely uh, the, the summary of the story. Much better said in some. Yeah, so this is, I mean, before we really get into this, this is totally a rehash of of cellophase in, in a way yeah. in a way but, but, and it's it is, in my opinion poorly executed i think so too but as you said the the, the folks in this city they're but not into it i, I really kind of dig this part of the story though yeah. because he comes he comes in does his music and people you know a few people are into it like one or two people are into it but everybody yeah. else just kind of wanders away some yeah. people are yawning because this guy kind of sucks the next day he stays there and then one of the, the workers comes up to him and says yeah okay why don't you go go check in with the cobbler because you need to get to work. <laughs> exactly. There's these long. <laughs> well, there's these long paragraphs where they go through the songs that he sings, and it actually reminded me of when I was a kid and I read Lord of the Rings, uh-huh. and you'd get to those pages uh-huh. where it would be elf song for yeah. you know. Since Tolkien was a linguist and he really enjoyed all that stuff, and you'd kind of just flip through. To I get would kind to the of next, skim yeah. through that stuff. This course. time I read it, but I didn't enjoy it. And but in these stories, he says that that Iranon says he was a prince. At the, in the story oh, right. uh, mm-hmm. in the city of Aira and he had to go into exile and he spent his life looking for it again so he's, he's actually kind of like Aragorn uh, he's not unlike he's, Aragorn he's returning king yeah, yeah. Uh, but as you said he rocks it all night singing these songs yeah you know? these lame the morning, songs <laughs> yeah the morning get Iranon's gotta get a jobby job <laughs> <laughs> go apprentice to the cobbler. He's like, yeah, go apprentice to the cobbler because you need to work. Because what you were doing last night wasn't work. You lazy, yeah. you lazy bastard. <laughs> and I love his response here. And says, but I am Irinon, the singer of songs. <laughs> I think part of the reason I didn't like this is I just kind of, I don't like people who frown on work. I'm kind of on their side. I'm totally on their side. <laughs> I mean, I'm an artist, but, yeah. you know, I can't. I, I mean, I relate to, obviously, Lovecraft, I think, right. is trying to say something about himself in this. Is, yeah. You know, he, nobody respects his work, and, yeah. you know, he... Everybody like, expects him to do things, yeah. ordinary things. But do blue-collar exactly. things. And he's not a blue-collar. He is yeah. descended from blue blood, you right. know, People like... People appreciate beauty, professionally. The professional beauty appreciate... Yeah, it's, uh, but he does have a... Iranon does have a good point in one respect. He says, uh, Wherefore do ye toil? Is it not that ye may live and be happy? And if ye toil only that ye may toil more, when shall happiness find you? Ye toil to live, but is not life made of beauty and song? And if ye suffer no singers among you, where shall be the fruits of your toil? Toil without song is like a weary journey without an end. And on that, I, got, I agree with Iranon. Uh, yeah. yeah. You, you do gotta, you know, kick it every once in a while. You gotta, yeah. If, if you're just working to work, you gotta enjoy your life. Well, actually, one of the things that... Uh, one of the workers uh, says here is, oh, I'm going to get my reward in the afterlife. Yes. Yes. He says, thou art a strange youth, and I like not thy face nor thy voice. Which, <laughs> which is totally, I mean, this is like Footloose or something. Like, I don't like the clothes you're wearing, son, <laughs> but I will pass on some wisdom to you. The words thou speakest are blasphemy, for the gods of Teloth have said that toil is good. Our gods have promised us a haven of light beyond death, where there shall be rest without end, and crystal coldness amidst which none shall vex his mind with thought, or his eyes with beauty. 
They are. It is like a, a little midwestern town. Work it, is the most important thing, and then then it's the church. Well, I mean, I think this also is a little bit of uh, Lovecraft's uh, attitude towards religion kind of popping yeah. up here, where it is sort of a tool to control people. Right. You know, like if you do if you do work and you're a good person and you work really hard. When you die, you'll get all this great stuff. Exactly. You so, know, like, which, so stop trying to get pleasure now. Just work. Just and work, work and work. work. Yeah. You'll get it later. So yeah, definitely. Uh, that rang a little, yeah. little bell in my ear. I liked ear. it. Yeah, I like that part. Uh, so of and course, that's when Yernon goes to an abandoned barn and dances his pain away. But he right. runs into this kid. There were, this kid finds him who was impressed with his music, and uh, this kid's name is Ramnod. Ramnod. Yeah, Ramnod. Well, Ramnod's hanging out in an embankment by the river when Irnon's walking around. Irnon's walking down the street, smoking, holding his guitar case. <laughs> and uh, and Ramnod says, hey, I want out of this crummy town too, man. I, I want to go to Unai. That's where people appreciate yeah. lutes, man. <laughs> Unai is where, where all the people love music and art, and they're really smart and cool. Yeah. And they're better than everything here. I hate, to remi- I hate to admit this, but it, this reminded me of uh, the vampire Lestat at the beginning when Lestat meets Nicholas and they decide to go off to Paris All together right. to pursue art. <laughs> End of that side note. But uh, <laughs> the idea is that they're these two dreamers stuck in a wicked little town and Ramnath says, hey, Unai, okay, maybe it's not what you're looking for exactly, but right. we won't be laughed at there. Well, I mean, here's the thing is uh, Ramnath says to him, he, he's like, well, you know, you know all this stuff and everybody loves your music and you're awesome. He's like, hey, kid. I'm not that awesome. People don't dig me so much. Yeah. And he, you know, talks about how the soldiers at Jaren laughed him out and, you know, all these oh, yeah. other well, cities and stuff. He talks about how he goes from city to city and he gets mocked and laughed at everywhere he goes. Everywhere. I have seen Stethylos that is below the great cataract and have gazed on the marsh where Sarnath once stood. I have been to Thra, Larnek, and Kadatharon on the winding river I and have dwelt long in Olitho in the land of Lomar. So uh, we have two um, references to previous stories. Sarnoth, obviously, the doom that mm-hmm. came to Sarnoth, and Lomar, which was in Polaris. Yeah. I mean, this is more of the, uh, you know, Lovecraft using his sort of invented history. Yeah. He's not only just... And this is one of the really confusing things. There's a whole uh, essay about Lovecraft and the Dreamlands, how he mixes in Dreamland stuff with ancient history. Right. And it's not very definite. So this could be a Dreamland story, or this could be an ancient history right, story. Right, right. Which would be a little strange, though, because in Lomar, they weren't human. Well, this is, it's, this is prehistoric in some way. Right. Anyhow. Yeah. So it could be in the Dreamlands. It could be ancient history. In either land, the boys decide to, to get out of town, and they, they hit the right. road together. They get into their groove of traveling, but it takes them years right. to get to their destination. In fact, Ramnod ages during this journey. Yeah, but uh, Iranon does not. Yeah. Pretty soon, Ramnod is older than Iranon. Yeah. It's like Highlander. <laughs> Who wants to live forever? See, I told you that's how I got through this story. <laughs> so they blah, blah, blah. They walk, they walk, they walk. And they finally get to Unai. Yeah. And it's kind of a party city. Yeah, see, it's, it, and it's a little disappointed. Because he thought Unai was going to be this place where people were like artists. And they appreciate yeah. art and beauty and no. things. But they're actually just kind of kind of like a frat house. Yeah, it's like a frat house. <laughs> or it's like it's like Austin City Limits or something like that. You know? <laughs> they, uh... they like to, to rock and roll all night. <laughs> Yeah. And party every day. They, exactly. Yeah. They definitely enjoy a good loot track. Uh, <laughs> but they're but they're they're also spending all their time chugging wine out of the box. So uh, <laughs> you know, this is like Iranon wants to actually play for the pharaohs in Egypt, but instead he's playing at the Luxor to a, a group of like a, a group of drunk ladies in jean shorts. That's oh, I that's, that's uh, great. But you know, Iranon, they do throw him flowers and they do appreciate him. 
As right. I, you know, they, yeah, yeah. He gets he gets some respect. So he says, "All right, I'll, it's not my preferred gig, but I'll hang out here for a while." And Ramnod just turns into a total drunk. Yeah, a drunk. He gets fat and old. He just keeps boozing it. And then, uh, uh, meanwhile, a, a group of dancers and flute players show up from the east. They've got their whole Black Eyed Peas act going on, and everybody <laughs> wants to look at them. Nobody wants to listen to oh, right, Ramnod right, anymore. Right, yeah. So he loses his his crowd. He loses his audience. Right. And then his buddy oh, right. Ramnod. It says he dies writhing on a couch. Yeah, which he had the DTS or could be you know, could sort of like be. leaving Las Vegas. <laughs> <laughs> It really had the movie references Man, to help you through. Uh, yeah. But Iranon has remained pale and slender. Yeah. So, you know, he's still in good traveling shape. So he shakes the dust of that town. Yeah. I believes the, the, the dead uh, Ramnod yeah. behind. And he's just, just he's still looking. He's still yeah. looking for that homeland of his. Aira. And uh, as he's traveling, once again, he comes across an old shepherd at his cottage. And he asks him, as he's been asking everybody for years, have you seen this city, Aira? The man says... Oh, stranger, I have indeed heard the name of Aira, and the other names thou hast spoken, but they come to me from afar down the waste of long years. I heard them in my youth from the lips of a playmate, a beggar's boy given to strange dreams who would weave long tales about the moon and the flowers and the west wind. We used to laugh at him, for we knew him from his birth, though he thought himself a king's son. He ran away when small to find those who would listen gladly to his songs and dreams. How often hath he sung to me of lands that never were, of things that can never be. Of Aira did he speak much. There would he ever say he once dwelt as a prince, though here we knew him from his birth. Nor was there ever a marble city of Aira, nor those who could delight in strange songs, save in the dreams of mine old playmate Iranon, who is gone. It's not a very nice revelation no. for Iranon. No. The whole thing was fabricated. He made it up, and yeah. he, he believed it so much that belief became real to him, and so yeah. real that it preserved his youth and mm-hmm. his beauty. Yeah, and when it's taken away from him, uh, it's pretty sad. And in the twilight, as the stars came out one by one, and the moon cast on the marsh a radiance like that which a child sees quivering on the floor as he is rocked to sleep at evening, there walked into the lethal quicksands a very old man in tattered purple, crowned with withered vine leaves and gazing ahead as if upon the golden domes of a fair city where dreams are understood that night something of youth and beauty died in the elder world that is it yeah that's it that's the end of the story i guess he was literally youth and beauty and Mm. once that died you know he aged and went off to death there is a lot of neat stuff in the story it was just kind of a painful read for me yeah, there was, like I said, I mean, we've t- touched on the things that I thought, you know, were had bits of wisdom in there. I thought were... Yeah. Do you remember, though, this, I I know, I've, I think I've blathered on about this episode of TV before, but there was in that remake of The Twilight Zone they did in the 80s, there was a really cool episode where there was a boy who was having trouble in school, and his teacher went to his house to find out what was going on. And it turned out this boy was reading, writing stories all day during school, and then reading them at night to right. his yes, grandfather, yes. Mm-hmm. or his father, who was very old. I think it was his grandfather. His grandfather. Who was like 100 yeah. years old. Yeah. And she couldn't figure out how this guy was so old, A, you know, or why the kid found it so important to read these stories to him. And as it turned out, every night the kid would write a cliffhanger to his story. Uh-huh. And he'd tell this grandfather, just wait until the next day. And that's what was keeping his grandfather alive. Right. Unnaturally. Mm-hmm. Was just the power of story. Yeah. This reminded me of that, too. A, I a could bit. see that, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Power, the power of myth. Now, this story uh, was written um, in February. February 28th, actually, of 1921. So we're now officially into the year 1921. All right. But it wasn't published until 35 hmm. uh, in a magazine called The Galleon. 
and then reprinted in Weird Tales after his death in 39. Hmm. But that's it. I mean, there's yeah. not a lot. We had this w- cool thing on the forums where uh, one of our listeners... Oh, yeah, actually, yeah. Like, regular uh, Frank. Regular Frank came up with this idea, which I thought this is a pretty cool idea. Yeah. Um, and a little bit of listener participation. It is called Best Line, Worst Line. And uh, so on the forums, if you go there, um, read the story before we record it. Yeah. We record usually on Sundays, uh, the Sunday before the podcast comes out, because we need the week to edit it and put in music and things. So if you can get to the forums, you know, you think you write, you tell us what you think the best line of the story is and the worst line of the story yeah. is. But uh, Genesis Unknown was the he jumped on it and uh, gave us what he thought was the best and the worst. Yeah. from and the story. He said the best was that last line. That night, something of youth and beauty died in the elder world. His commentary being, uh, it's such a downer ending, but so fitting and powerful. A simple, well-constructed sentence that drives home the entire story. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. Yeah. Worst? Oh, Aira, city of marble and barrel. How many are thy beauties? How loved I the warmth, uh, the warm and fragrant groves across the hyaline Nithra and the falls of tiny craw that flowed through the verdant valley. <laughs> Commentary here, Genus Unknown writes, I smell moonbeam bridges. <laughs> Imagine skipping merrily through the docks in Boston talking about the cloud city that lives in your head. At first, you'll just turn a few heads. The moment you launch into, Oh, cloud city, wonder of the purple sunset, how I long for thy tulip garden, <laughs> is the exact moment you move from weird looks to beaten to a pulp and left on the sidewalk. That's a that's a pretty terrible. Uh, that's one of the reasons why the story was so tough for me to get through. Yeah, was that stuff. Just so a, uh, all of that Lord of the Rings song stuff. Genus unknown. Thank you. Thank yeah, you for good contributing. Comments. Good comments. So let's move into the Moon Bog, which incidentally will be read by the same reader who did the first story, Graham Eberhardt. Graham Eberhardt. Uh, who's a good friend of ours from our hometown, uh, the Quad Cities. He lives out in Port Byron, is one half of the wonder rock group Mayhem Lettuce. Yeah, and he's the mayor's son. He was the mayor's son. I don't know if his <laughs> his mother's still the mayor, but uh, yeah. the mayor of Port Byron. Right. Yeah. But that always, to me, it just seems like uh, you're asking for a screwball comedy when the mayor's son shows up. <laughs> I don't know why. I just love that about Graham. Somewhere to what remote and fearsome region I know not, Dennis Barry has gone. I was with him the last night he lived among men, and heard his screams when the thing came to him. But all the peasants and police in County Meath could never find him or the others, though they searched long and far. And now I shudder when I hear the frogs piping in swamps, or see the moon in lonely places. This is a very promising start. Yeah, it's a pretty creepy start. I like it. Yeah. We, we learn that the protagonist knew this guy, Dennis Barry, mm-hmm. who's made his fortune in America and so bought his family castle by the bog in the sleepy town of Kildare mm-hmm. in Ireland, which Lovecraft wanted to buy his old. Yes, that uh, was one of my notes. Uh, that was something Lovecraft really dreamed of going back uh, to England and buying his ancestral home. Uh, this whole idea is definitely touched upon much deeper on the Rats in the Wall, which right. is a story that will yeah. be coming up. Uh, but I love that the setting is Irish. Yeah. It's a new thing. Which is kind of strange because Lovecraft hated Irish people. Oh, did he really? Oh, yeah. He, they were immigrants. He hated right. Irish immigrants. So well, maybe he liked them if they stayed where they belong. I, maybe. maybe Banshee haunted island. <laughs> uh, well, so Denny, uh, Dennis is restoring the old family home and uh, everything was going great. But now there's some troubles. Uh, all the workers and the servants have left and he's gotten lonely. So he's asked our protagonist to come keep him company. Yes. It's very much a Poe setup, actually. Right. Uh-huh. Uh, but what happened? He gets there, and Dennis, Dennis is like, oh, yeah, you know that bog that's out by the, the thing? I'm going to drain it. I'm going to, you know, because it's, it's a mess. We could use this land for uh, vegetables, right. gardens, uh, farming, whatever. This bog is a nightmare. Let's get it out of here. Yeah. 
But nobody wants to, none of the peasants will do it because they think that there are spirits that live in this bog. That's right. They all have some fears about the bog. Uh, what are these fears? When I heard the fears which had driven the people from Kildary, I laughed as loudly as my friend had laughed. For these fears were of the vaguest, wildest, and most absurd character. They had to do with some preposterous legend of the bog, and of a grim guardian spirit that dwelt in the strange olden ruin on the far islet I had seen in the sunset. There were tales of dancing lights in the dark of the moon, and of chill winds when the night was warm, of wraiths in white hovering over the waters and of an imagined city of stone deep down below the swampy surface. But foremost among the weird fancies, and alone in its absolute unanimity, was that of the curse awaiting him who should dare to touch or drain the vast reddish morass. So, they don't want to drain it because the legend is that the person who does that is cursed. Yeah. that's a, You know what? That's a really... That's a strange legend. Like, how often yeah. in ancient times would people drain bogs? I don't know. But yeah, I, I would think that that wouldn't happen. Like, I think that's a fairly modern... To be able to drain a bog? Like, yeah. that's a lot of work. Well, you know, the whole reason he wants to drain the bog is because he spent time in America. Oh, right, yeah. <laughs> that's what yeah. it says. Yeah. It says uh, uh, America had not left him untouched. Yeah, <laughs> right. And he hated the beautiful wasted space where where uh, peat might be cut and land opened up. Right. I, it was a funny sentiment, but then at the same time I thought, well... It is true in America we do like to destroy things that are old <laughs> and replace them. <laughs> it is true. Well, I, I I don't think that that's what he's necessarily saying. I think he thinks in, in America there's a certain kind of practicality and business mind uh-huh. where it's like, this could be used for something productive. Right. You know, like the very industrialized United States as opposed to an Ireland where it's like, you know, this is the way things are. This is the way things have always been, and this is the way things should be. You know, because they're too drunk to get up. And, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> oh, Chad, you're of Irish descent. I am of Irish okay, descent. Good. As long oh, as the okay. person I'm offending's in the room, I gotta say, if we were doing best line, worst line here, this is my choice for the worst. When he says, "When I heard the fears which had driven the people from Kildare, I laughed as loudly as my friend had laughed, for these fears were of the vaguest, wildest, and most absurd character." Throughout the story, he talks about the volume of he and his friends' laughter. And yeah, it's no, some that's... of the worst writing. Yeah, I don't get it. I just, it almost, I, in my head, I imagine it like it's an anime movie or something, you know? <laughs> like, he's like, can you believe those fears? Ha 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 He's like, those fears are ridiculous. Ha 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 So stupid. Yeah, I don't, it's really weird that they both laugh. Well, I mean, I, obviously Lovecraft is just trying to show that these guys don't take the myth seriously. Sure, I understand. Uh, but nobody local, oh, so anyway, back to the story. Nobody yeah. local is going to work on this, on the clearing of the bog. Right. So he has to hire some guys from up north. Yeah, and, and they also, they say basically that, uh, the peasants say that there were these secrets underneath the bog. They say uh, there was this Greek civilization here at one, yeah. one time. Right. They've got it in some of their books, and it was overrun by invaders, but one city was spared, sort uh-huh. of, uh-huh. Uh, by its patron moon goddess. It was buried by the wooded hills around it so uh-huh. that the invaders couldn't get to it. So the people were killed, and then eventually water covered it, and that's why the bog is there. Right. But, I mean, the, the, the saving by the moon goddess is almost as horrible as if they'd been right. overrun by the invaders. <laughs> I mean, they were just drowned by land. Essentially, by the woods. That's pretty, pretty. Uh, Which actually is kind of neat. It's kind of. Anyway, they've they've done all their laughing about the, yeah, like, these these fears, these ridiculous uh, superstitions. He sets up in the castle. So that night, our narrator, you know, he dreams of flutes piping in this stately Grecian city. Mm-hmm. And uh, the next day, when I told this dream to Barry, we both laughed, but I laughed the louder because he was perplexed about his laborers from the north. For the sixth time, they had all overslept, waking very slowly and dazedly. 
and acting as if they had not rested, although they were known to have gone early to bed the night before. So these workers he brought in from the north, they, they just can't get their sleepy heads out yeah, of bed. Yeah, they're little, little tired babies. And they heard weird sounds too, yeah. they say, when, when he talks to them. Dennis is just kind of ignoring this. He says, look, I'm going to drain the bog in two days. We've got our people from the north. Uh, I don't care if people are dreaming of flutes. You know. Yeah, let's get this done. Right. That night, again, our, our narrator goes to sleep, and he has a dream about the flutes and the city again. Mm-hmm. But it's cut short when, in his dream, he sees those wooded slopes collapse in and bury everybody, mm-hmm. leaving only one temple standing, which... Early in the story, he says he saw this little islet off in the bog that had right. some ruins on it, and mm-hmm. I'm assuming that's where that temple was. Then I heard a clock from some remote landing below strike the hour of two, and I knew I was awake. Yet still there came that monotonous piping from afar, wild, weird airs that made me think of some dance of fawns on distant Menelus. Oh, hello. Menelis. Yeah. That's, uh, that is reference uh, from the tree. Right. That's yeah. in the first line, as they say, in the groves of Mount Manelis. Yeah, uh-huh. Yeah, that's where the tree took place. So more of this uh, bringing in his... Bringing in his... his and it's cool, man, work. as we've gotten this, this thus far into the stories, now he's really, he's got enough material out there he can start drawing from his own stories yeah. and building uh-huh. this mythos. So our, our guy wakes up, hears the, a clock go off, which yeah. says, oh, I'm back in the real world, I'm not dreaming, but he looks I still window. hear the piping. So he yeah. looks out the window and he sees... The laborers are, like, rocking it. They're out dancing yeah. as if under some kind of spell. Yeah, they're swaying. Uh, they're doing these ancient Greek kind of dances, the dithyram right. or whatever. Right. And, uh, <laughs> which is some leaping dance I think they used to do. Uh, and so, and you notice the laborers out there, and then he collapses back into sleep. The next day, he wants to tell Dennis about his dreams, but, you know, in the cold light of morning, he realizes it must have just been autumn crickets or something like that. And he says, you know, I'm given to phantasms anyway. Then we're at the night before the bog is going to be drained. Yeah. Our guy is, he's starting to get a little freaked out by his dreams. I mean, he mm-hmm. wants to take Dennis's car and just get out of there, but right. nah, he falls asleep instead. Yep. Uh, and then he wakes up again, he hears shrill piping, and there's this light coming from outside. But, you know, not the kind of light the moon gives. Some other kind of light, like from a party or something, perhaps. Right. Uh-huh. And then we get to what I think is definitely the best sentence in the story, or the best passage. It okay. says, uh, My immediate actions were peculiar for such a situation. But it is only in tales that a man does the dramatic and foreseen thing. Instead of looking out across the bog toward the source of the new light, I kept my eyes from the window in panic fear, and clumsily drew on my clothing with some dazed idea of escape. I remember seizing my revolver and hat, but before it was over, I had lost them both without firing the one or donning the other. After a time, the fascination of the red radiance overcame my fright, and I crept to the east window and looked out, whilst the maddening incessant piping whined and reverberated through the castle and over all the village. I, I love that only in tales do men do the uh, dramatic and foreseen thing. I just think that that's such a neat sentiment, you know, when, when, when there's a reality to a situation, mm-hmm. when maybe when a burglar breaks into the house, the quick actions that you take aren't necessarily the the best ones you might jump up and run out in your underwear completely undefended or and i I remember once when i was a kid i heard this really loud noise and i was half asleep and i got up and i pushed my dresser over in front of my door (laughs) then i couldn't get out of the door to see what was going on i I don't know why i did it you know so it was right right right, that was a neat absolutely yeah yeah Uh, so he looks out the window and he swears that that ruin on the islet is undecayed and restored and he thinks he sees forms dancing against mm-hmm. it. And so he goes to the north window to get a better look, where he sees moving this procession of nightmarish beings. Half gliding, half floating in the air, the white-clad bog wraiths were slowly retreating toward the still waters and the island ruin in fantastic formations, suggesting some ancient and solemn ceremonial dance. 
their waving translucent arms guided by the detestable piping of those unseen flutes beckoned in uncanny rhythm to a throng of lurching laborers who followed dog-like with blind brainless floundering steps as if dragged by a clumsy but resistless demon will <laughs> you know, actually, my one of my, my favorite line of the story is, is is towards the end of that. He says, "As last pathetic straggler, the fat cook sank he- heavily out of sight into the sullen pool." I just loved it. it was yeah, very, just some fat cook is even the cook. He's not even doing anything. He's just making food for people. Yeah, and he gets pulled in and dies in the bog. <laughs> right, because that's what happened. It's this like Pied Piper of Hamlet situation yeah. where these bog raids are dancing along and everybody's doing like, the conga line in, behind them. Come on in, and then they all go into the bog and drown. One by one. Yeah. First, it's just laborers. Then the servants come out of the castle. Yes. They're all one by one going into the water. Right. And he's just frozen. He actually kind of collapses on the floor with fear. Mm-hmm. But then he hears these screams from below. All I can say is that they came from something I had known as a friend. I'm guessing it's Dennis. Yeah, so. I don't know. He didn't introduce any other of his friends no, no, in the no, town. No, no, no. So it must so. be Dennis. Yeah, and then they say the next morning they find him just kind of muttering and blather, blabbing around in a, in a sit a couple towns over. Right. And when he comes out, and, you know, so he doesn't exactly remember what happened, but when they ask him, he kind of mutters about two things. He says, uh, As I fled from that accursed castle along the bog's edge, I heard a new sound. Common, yet unlike any I had heard before at Kildare. The stagnant waters, lately quite devoid of animal life, now teemed with a horde of slimy, enormous frogs which piped shrilly and incessantly in tones strangely out of keeping with their size. They glistened, bloated and green in the moonbeams, and seemed to gaze up at the fount of light. I followed the gaze of one very fat and ugly frog, and saw the second of the things which drove my senses away. Stretching directly from the strange olden ruin on the far islet to the waning moon, my eyes seemed to trace a beam of faint quivering radiance having no reflection in the waters of the bog, and upward along that pallid path my fevered fancy pictured a thin shadow slowly writhing, a vague contorted shadow struggling as if drawn by unseen demons. Crazed as I was, I saw in that awful shadow a monstrous resemblance, a nauseous, unbelievable caricature, a blasphemous effigy of him who had been Dennis Barry. Oh no, Dennis! And that is the end of the story. And that is the end of the story. Uh, So wait, what was happening to him? He was being drawn up into the sky. All of the frogs are looking up in the moon. Yeah. And there's this beam coming from the moon. Yeah. But it, the beam isn't reflected in the water, so no. it's some kind of ghostly yes. thing that's not real. And Dennis is being stretched and drawn up into this beam. Yeah. But why, why he's taken up in the beam and not drawn, uh, drowned in the bog with the others, I have no idea. Because I thought the bog drowning was pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, that's, I mean... It's well, neat to hypnotize everybody and commit mass murder. It's not neat. <laughs> I mean, it's a neat... <laughs> Ending. I thought that was a right. cool... It's pretty creepy and scary. Yeah. But why does he get pulled up into a moonbeam? I don't know. Well, I was thinking of Sarnath, actually, and the beings of Ib. Yeah. Who were kind of frog-like. Yeah, there was uh, some similarities to that. And, and and they had descended from the moon. Right. Well, they came in on the mist. There were some similar... You know, earlier on in the story, I thought maybe he was maybe alluding to that this might be the actual site of, of Sarnath. You yeah. Know, like in modern day... Sure. Because he was talking about the bot and this ancient curse and this thing that happened. Yeah. And these people were drowned. And I might be stretching it, but well, I thought, you know, maybe that was happening. And with yeah. the frogs, that kind of, for me, seemed to still, you know, kind of connect to the yeah. beings of Ib. I guess it's sort of an Irish countryside version of the doom that came to Sarnath, actually, because they offend nature. Right. 
by trying to develop on this land, mm -hmm. completely disregarding whatever heritage might be there, and right. as a result are punished with doom. With doom. Yeah, I don't. I don't have much to much uh, to really really say about I this story. I don't know. Couldn't get uh, into it. I tried. Well, you know, the whole point of this, and it kind of feels this way to me, this was written for a gathering of amateur journalists for St. Patrick's Day. And therein lies the Irish setting. Yeah. Okay. It was uh, written before March 21st. There was this gathering. It was on March 10th in Boston. So Lovecraft was going to it. So he wrote an Irish-themed story, and uh, I feel like he kind of, it was a kind of a hack job, personally. <sighs> yeah. I, I feel like he kind of borrowed like some, some of his other older ideas and yeah. kind of mished them together. And right, right. I was thinking of Darby O'Gill and the little people a little bit. <laughs> all right. Well, uh, that's all I've got on that story. That is all I have on that story. So, everyone, I want to uh, also point out that um, go to a forum. Sign up and uh, read a story in advance and give us some input. We'd yeah. We like that. Thanks again for the topic, uh, the structure, the best line, worst line thing. Yeah, I think that's such a great idea. idea. And uh, this weekend I did have an opportunity to go through some of the forums and the comments and read what everybody's writing about. And it's just great stuff. Yeah. yeah great stuff. And I would remind everybody also that we've got that donate button on our site. Oh, yeah. Please donate. HPPodcraft.com. If you donate uh, $20 or more before the end of the year, we will send you a soundtrack CD. Yes. Which covers, uh, it's more than, it's about 70 minutes worth of music. Hmm. Uh, original tracks that we've put together for the first uh, 19 shows. Yeah, this is the 20th show. This being the 20th show. And uh, that's, if you think about it, that's a dollar a show. Yeah, a it really is. Show, yeah. And uh, we haven't printed the CDs yet, so no. if you've donated, you'll get yours probably near the end of the month. And if you can't afford $20... Five bucks. Yeah. Whatever Five bucks you would help. Give. Whatever you can give. We'd really appreciate it. It would really help us out uh, with our server with costs. Exactly. And, um, you know, we're not making any money on this. We're just trying to break even. So next week we are doing a big one. The Outsider. The Outsider, which I very much so like. Right. Yeah. Well, I liked the, um, the film adaptation of this, which I thought was pretty good with Tom Cruise and Patrick Swayze. <laughs> Did you see that? <laughs> Because I haven't read the story yet, but uh -huh. I, Pony no, you're Boy. right. Yeah, yeah, Pony Boy. Pony Boy, yeah, sure. Yeah. That's pretty sure. good. I well, next week, Chris I've, is I've... in for a big surprise. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I'm looking forward to reading. Or he may be over at the S.E. Hinton uh, Literary Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see what happens. Uh, but that's all for now. I'm Chad Pfeiffer. I'm Chris Lackey. And this has been the H.P. Lovecraft Literary Podcast. HPPodcraft.com. HPPodcraft.com <laughs>